For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson with another readout video from our weekly email Wednesday Wake Up newsletter and another cry of Why Wictus? and also of Send Us Money. The former is because a piece in National Geographic says Rome's a goner due to climate change. Where Alaric and his Visigoths failed, global warming is now bringing the Eternal City to eternal ruin. Well, that and comically bad land use planning that means Italy's modest warming gets greatly amplified by urban heat island effects, and its rainfall has fewer and fewer places to go because nobody bothered to build drains as the city sprawled, leading to the inevitable flooding problems. But never mind that. It's all due to climate change because post hoc ergo propter hoc, quote erat demonstrandum. Yes, I studied Latin in high school. And I remember the verse about how Latin's a dead language, as dead as it can be. It killed the ancient Romans, and now it's killing me. Meanwhile, rain is killing Rome, or so National Geographic would have you believe. Quote, Since 2008, extreme rainfalls have increased in frequency and intensity. Even moderate rainfall regularly turns some streets of the city, which is spread out on the hills, into paved rivers flowing toward the low areas, inundating subway stops and underpasses. Severe heat waves are the flip side of the climate coin. In the last two decades, average temperatures in Rome have risen by 3.6 degrees Celsius compared to the period between 1971 and 2000, end quote. Proof positive. Uh, unless you happen to know that even the IEA says, quote, Italy's average annual temperature has increased at a rate of 1 degree Celsius in the last 100 years, end quote, which means that about 3.1 of the 3.6 degrees Celsius warming in the last 50 years in Rome must be due to something other than generalized global or national warming. As the piece eventually blurts out while discussing mitigation, quote, Rome is increasingly dotted with urban heat islands, where mortality among people over 65 is twice as much compared with green areas, end quote. So, poor land use decisions explain the apparent increase in temperature, and, we surmise, the apparent increase in flooding, as that article also ultimately admits. Still, if Brennus returns, besieges the city again, and demands more loot, you'll know they say CO2 is to blame. Speaking of blame, the Canadian government is now struggling with the very real prospect that its various attacks at climate programs are going to devastate employment in the energy sector even while promoting a smooth transition to a more prosperous, high-tech and virtuous economy inside their own minds. Blacklock's reporter says of Bill C-50, the Canadian Sustainable Jobs Act, that, quote, Cabinet yesterday introduced a bill to promote support for workers facing layoffs due to its climate program. Some 170,000 energy workers face unemployment, according to the Environment Commissioner, end quote. But those in power still mistake destroying jobs for creating them. The story continues that, quote, Labor Minister Seamus O'Regan told reporters, what we're talking about here is making sure workers aren't left behind, end quote. By substituting fake economic activity for the real kind and then paying for it with fake money. What could go wrong? Well, stay tuned. Especially when Natural Resources Minister Jonathan Wilkinson babbles that in resource-based communities, Bill C-50, quote, is going to change their lives in the sense it is a bill that puts in place architecture to ensure that building a green economy and ensuring we are supporting workers along the way is front and center for the government, end quote. A plan to have a plan for a plan. Again. 
Also, from the can't let go of the wildfires file, an outfit called Axios gloats that, quote, America's most powerful get a close-up of climate change. The harmful veil of smoke that enveloped the country's economic and political power centers this week presented bankers and lawmakers with an in-your-face demonstration of what climate change looks, feels, and smells like, end quote. Not to be outdone, the Guardian hollered, quote, Canada is on fire and big oil is the arsonist, end quote. Of course, the air here promptly cleared. Here I'm going to interrupt myself briefly to remind you of the importance of clicking here and supporting our work. Because at CDN, we don't get big government grants. We're not supported by those huge environmental foundations. And we're certainly not in the pocket of big oil. It's up to you, our viewers and our readers, to make a one-time or monthly pledge. $3, $5, $7, so that we can continue to produce the newsletter and these videos and challenge the false consensus around climate alarmism. And now, back to the show. And from the you-thought-we-wouldn't-notice file, the increasingly exasperated Canadian Environment Commissioner roasts the federal cabinet for vainglorious bloviating regarding its plan to develop a plan for a plan to plant trees, saying, quote, they need to concentrate much more on results. This is a theme of a lot of our reports, end quote. Unfortunately, not of their response. And from the it-would-be-easy-if-it-weren't-so-hard file, Canary Media chortle frets, quote, Tesla has pulled ahead on EV charging. Now the hard part begins, end quote. And the hard part begins because, you see, quote, the biggest public EV charging companies in the U.S. have a problem. They face years of spending more money than they can earn from charging, end quote. And here you said we'd all get rich. So the hard part is explaining why you said that. Also, from the woe-to-you-hypocrites file, Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who blew $61,000 on hotel rooms at an anti-poverty conference in New York that he flew to, where he met the likes of Hugh Jackman instead of grubby poor people, then flew to Iceland as a special guest of the Nordic Prime Ministers in order to, you guessed it, fight, quote, challenges like conflict, the impacts of climate change, food and energy insecurity, and threats to democracy and human rights, end quote busy man, since he also burned fossil fuel to go to Montreal to fight climate change with its mayor. Doubtless much was achieved. Oh, and from Denier Island, onto which the evil are voted by the mature, tolerant climate alarmists to ponder and repent their sins, Roger Pilkey Jr. sends us a missive about, quote, how I became Voldemort in climate science, end quote, while Environmental Defense Canada pillories Canada's climate villains, with the aid of cartoonish depictions including Arthur Irving belching black smoke, Michael Binion morphing into Satan, and Alex Porbet with horns. Charming. In the newsletter, we also complain that National Ge Geographic tells us to, quote, get ready for heatwave Alice, end quote, which they just invented, along with much more besides. But, according to National Geographic, quote, what can save lives from more frequent and severe heatwaves, end quote, one idea, tried in Europe, is to name them like hurricanes or cyclones, end quote. So, here comes Alice in Model Land, because cold still kills far more people than heat, even in warm places like India, to say nothing of cooler ones like Europe. Think they're going to start naming cold spells Ilsa? As for heat being bad, the next UN Gabfest, COP28, is scheduled for November 30th to December 12th of 2023 in the United Arab Emirates. 
Yes, the great and good fly to these things in warm tropical resorts when it gets cold in the northern hemisphere to underline that it's one rule for me, another for thee, on this file as on so many. And also because COP27, held from November 6th to 18th of 2022 in Egypt, was such a total and complete waste of time, effort, money, idealism, and fossil fuels that it's crucial to do it again. And this time, the main theme will be that since we can't get nations to stop emitting greenhouse gases, and we look darn silly getting delegates to promise to again and again, and then fly home first class to make a first class mess of it, we should demand instead that politicians in industrialized democracies give all their citizens' wealth to politicians running countries that they have mired in political and economic dysfunction. Again, what could go wrong? Well, it might be kind of a negative impression, especially on the citizens of the industrialized democracies, uh, particularly if the mathematics and economics are involved, are even more transparently absurd than the science. And how well is that stuff going? Well, even a meeting about the meeting held in Bonn, Germany, revealed just how much we can expect from COP28 held in the United Arab Emirates because, quote, despite months of discussion since the previous COP27 in Egypt, there was no agreement on... Drumroll, please. Adopting the agendas proposed by the COP permanent subsidiary bodies for the Bonn Conference, end quote. Months of discussions, and they can't draft an agenda. But they can save the planet by diving into your pocket and pulling out the hundreds of trillions of dollars they think are lurking there. Sure thing, buddy. Which brings me to the point that a major red flag in any reform movement is if they try to reinvent economics without knowing what it said before. For instance, the new enthusiasm for circular economics where things are not wasted, as opposed to the old free market system where, driven by the relentless logic of profit and loss, entrepreneurs try desperately not to waste anything. Euronews Green emails us, Green Week, be part of the circular economy. But you already are, and they don't even know it. And then they say, quote, Green Week, stop the take-make-waste cycle, end quote. But remember, as just one example, ever since the invention of agriculture, people have repurposed almost all their trash, even animal dung. And before that, skin, bones, guts, you name it, it got reused. Unfortunately, bad economics also gets recycled. And since people who don't study history tend to repeat it, and economic history is no exception, we read that, quote, global carbon market in turmoil after Zimbabwe grabs offset money a government claiming half the revenue from privately-backed efforts to protect forests and cut emissions might throw carbon credit projects around the world into doubt, end quote. And the only thing that surprises us is that it surprised anybody. Dangle booty before bandits, and they seize it. You really didn't know? What else don't you know? Bloomberg adds, quote, the global market for carbon offsets is worth about $2 billion today and projected to grow to as much as $1 trillion in 15 years, even as it faces fundamental questions about credibility and effectiveness. Add government appropriation to the list of risks for this climate solution, end quote. Yeah, and we say you should also add fools rush in. In the newsletter, we present another installment of our series in the, on the Clintel analysis of the IPCC's sixth assessment report, and this week it's Kip Hansen's chapter on sea levels. The IPCC claims that global sea levels rose in a linear fashion from pre-industrial times until a couple of decades ago and then sped up, meaning the oceans are surging up whatever faster and we're all going to drown, starting with the billionaires in their coastal mansions. 
But as is so often the case with the IPCC, the spot in the graph where the slope changes just happens to coincide with the place where they switched to a different way of measuring. And when there's a discontinuity in a trend and a discontinuity in data sets, the first suspicion should be that it's the latter that's causing the former. Also known as, Bill Gates should be safe from drowning for a while yet. As for those pesky Canadian forest fires, which are having a big season, we note a study published in 2022 by a team of 10 mostly Canadian forest scientists that examines long-term evidence of forest fire burn rates at 16 sites across Canada, from the northwest near Alaska to the Gaspé Peninsula. And guess what? Right. Despite the insistence that this spring's forest fires are the worst thing ever, or worse still, from people who seem to think history began when Prince Albert died, or possibly when the Beatles broke up, forest fire activity in what's now Canada was far worse in the 1700s and 1800s, during the Little Ice Age, and fell throughout the 20th century as things warmed. Also, since people keep yapping about carbon pollution, we also look at yet another CO2Science.org archive piece on whether plant food hurts plants. In this case, it looked at the combined effects of elevated CO2 and nitrogen supply on winter wheat, that's Triticum istivum, and it was done at the Dünen Institute in Braunschweig, Germany. Turns out, both carbon and nitrogen are good for wheat. So, of course, our governments are against both carbon and nitrogen, so possibly wheat as well. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, aspiring to play Fabius Maximus to the Alarmist's Hannibal. Yep, it was that kind of high school. Thank you.